Welcome to the July 5th edition of Eye on the Triangle, the news features program of WKNT 88.1. Of the countless hours of great music this station puts out onto the airwaves, here is your one hour of down-to-earth news that you'd be pressed to find elsewhere. If you consider yourself a citizen of the Triangle, then then stay tuned. I'm your host, Mark Herring, and tonight we have a special program planned. We're going to kick things off with my guest, Doa Dorgan, a rising senior in psychology. Er, psychology? Yes, sir. Okay, great. And a recent pr- participant in this summer's Freedom Riders Tour. The Freedom Riders first embarked on their campaign for civil rights in the summer of 1961, but Doa can pick things up from here. So could you explain a little bit about what exactly you did this summer? So basically with uh, PBS and American Experience, they chose 40 kids from across the country to reenact the historic uh, Freedom Rides movement. And pretty much what that was, it was a movement that sought to integrate the busing system by bringing kids, you know, African-American, American, Jewish, from all different races, bringing them together in order to stop the ingrained hatred and doctrine of segregation. And so pretty much they chose 40 students to retrace those roots and talk about civic engagement today and why that's necessary. Okay, great. And how did this, uh, how did you get this idea to, to join the, the Freedom Riders? Well, actually, I was sitting in um, a class with Dr. Nakas, and it was an interpersonal relationships and race class. And so we, the whole point of the class was to talk about social issues of today and how we address those issues. So he actually sent us out this email. And when I was reading this, I was like, this is absolutely incredible. And I would be so humbled to be in the presence of American heroes. So that's what really ignited that excitement and, for me. Okay, cool. It, did uh, Have you been interested in American civil rights, the history of American civil rights beforehand? Or was this sort of a thing like, wow, this I've never heard about this. I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. Well, I've never actually heard about the Freedom Ride post, you know, before I applied to the applicate for the application process, which was really shocking to me that this was such a you know pivotal moment in history and not enough credit was due to it. So when I read it and I learned about you know how it was a nonviolent approach, I thought it would be so essential to learn what it is that they did and bring that back to our own community. Oh wow! And so could you tell us? where you went, like the laundry list of the places you hit on the bus? So pretty much we started off in Washington, D.C., and then from Washington, D.C., we went to uh, North Carolina, stopping in Greensboro and Charlotte. Made it through South Carolina and Alabama. We stopped in Montgomery, Anniston, where the place got firebombed, um, and then we went to Jackson, Mississippi, and we ended it off with a huge parade in New Orleans. Oh, wow. Okay, so first stop, North Carolina. Close to home, Greensboro. Mm -hmm. How was that? It was very eye-opening to me because I wasn't aware that the sit-ins actually began in Greensboro. And I think it's really essential that our school systems really focus on our, you know, our participation in the civil rights movement because it's something that I feel is very overlooked being a part of the Wake County school system since kindergarten. Exactly. Yeah, these are the sit-ins where... Young black men from North Carolina A and T, they would go to lunch counters uh, and they proceeded to get beaten. Uh, really graphic stuff, but it so it, it th- these events really kick started the civil rights movement, um, which is really interesting. So, uh, what did you do after Greensboro? Uh, after Greensboro, we went to uh, Charlotte. 
and um, we pretty much went to, to a church there, and we began to understand the effects of, you know, religious doctrines and and what helped these freedom riders fight the enemy. That's really what humbled them. That's really what allowed them to move forward, to understand that experience of, of faith within um, the freedom ride movement. Okay. And now you completed the tour of the freedom ride. The, the original freedom riders, they couldn't. How come? Uh, well, what had happened was they were actually flown back by the Kennedy administration um, before they made it to New Orleans, and that was the first round of, you know, freedom riders. And then what, what had happened was through Nashville, Tennessee, people kept encouraging them. They kept sending students. So their, their whole purpose was to fill the jail cells. Um, so they would never get it past Mississippi. So it was when that, you know, that idea was overturned. So they had never originally made it to New Orleans like they had planned, um, which I think was, you know, at least they, they pushed back that, you know, that terrible do- doctrine. So it was OK. But they had never made it to New Orleans. And you said that you'd never heard about the Freedom Ride before uh, you got that email. Mm-hmm. Um, but why is this an important event in American history? And why do you want to shed light on uh this ev- this event that I guess we've overlooked? Well, I think it's in order to continue legacy of heroes, it's really important to, to continue to move forward. And I feel like our generation is set on this ideology of apathy, and it's a very dangerous ideology. Um, being, being a college student and seeing that, it's very sickening. And when you're surrounded by people who are our age that gave up their education, that signed their will in order to move forward, it caused me it caused me to just feel really like terrible about myself. And it's like, how do we relay this idea to the masses that collectively, if you stand behind something, change is possible. So what can other people do? I think, you know, in the words of Helen Singleton, it was find something that really pisses you off and do something about it. Stop being static. Stop thinking that you don't have the power to change something because that ideology right there is really what prevents you from moving forward. Okay. And now the civil rights movement uh, from the 1960s, we've uh, moved on since then. Uh, The activists, they achieved the goals um, or they worked towards achieving those goals. Um, what are the new civil rights, uh, the new civil rights challenges of the 21st century, or let's broaden it to human rights? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess speaking civil rights and what's specific to this country, I think um, immigrant rights, uh, homosexuality rights. I think you know the concerns that have come up with the Patriot Act. I think those those are the rights. Those are the civil liberties. You know, environmental policy is another huge issue. Those are the civil rights and civil liberties um, that are really essential to us currently that need to be addressed. And what's the importance of uh, being active in pursuing these civil rights as a as a nation? Well, I think. The United States of America has always been an example of, of what, you know, freedom and justice and prosperity should be. And I think given the global perspective currently, that's kind of diminished. So it's really up to us to prop us back and to stick to those hallmarks that this country was established on. Oh, wow. And so what was the biggest lesson you're going to take back from from this experience? Uh, I think the key issue 
was to use this idea of um, agapic energy. And that's pretty much, you know, the absence of violence in the presence of love. And to really have love for everything and use that love, the love of people, to move forward. And to care enough about people that you don't know, to care enough about other generations, to love them enough to want to make a change. That was the ideology that they were focused on, and that's the ideology I'm using to help shape my life now currently. Okay. And um, would, you, would you recommend other students to do this? Absolutely. I recommend that everyone really um, becomes educated with our history because if you don't know where you, where you came from, you're subject to make those same mistakes. And I think it's very essential that we look at everything critically and you know, to, to be patriotic, I feel like, is to continue to help the betterment of society. So if you see an injustice, it's patriotic to do something about it versus being unpatriotic and just letting things simply go by. And I think that's uh, been proven uh, countless times with the civil rights movement um, and now currently in the Middle East uh, with um, the Arab Spring. Absolutely. Um, and actually we have two uh, NC State students over in North Africa right now, and we will actually have a little excerpt from their poetic portraits of a revolution uh, later in the show. But, um, Dua, thank you very much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. No. Welcome back to Eye on the Triangle. I'm Mark Herring, your host. And right now, we're going to do a little different part of the show um, that we've had before. We had this week in history, but I'm going to make it a little more broad. I'm going to do this month in history. So the fact that today is the 5th of July, it's the day after uh, the 4th of July where you know we, de- we declared our independence. But also... The 5th of July is very important in many other senses. Uh, This day, um, in 1996, English doctor Sir Ian Wilmot cloned the first mammal from a a somatic cell, giving the world Dolly the Sheep, most affectionately named after the singer Dolly Parton. And also, after our founding fathers drafted and announced the infant United States Declaration of Independence, during July 5th, it was being pressed at uh, John Dunnup's printer, and he was the designated printer for the Continental Congress. And we know July as the month of independence for the United States, but surprisingly, a lot of other nations observe this month as Liberty Month. So here's the laundry list. There's Somalia, Belarus, Venezuela, Algeria, Argentina, the Bahamas. Uh, in July is Bastille Day of uh, France. The Independence Day of Colombia, Belgium, Maldives, Peru, uh, Vanuatu, or Vanuatu, Vanuatu. There we go. That's an island nation in the in Oceania. And most notably, July fifth was the founding of Cleveland. And July is also National Ice Cream Month. Uh, yes, we have a month dedicated to it. And with curiosity, I researched why we have a month just for ice cream. And President Reagan popped up in my search browser instantly. So not only did he like free market economics or Star Wars missile programs, the late president was quite the fan of ice cream. So President Obama, I hereby request that you declare August 
since July is already taken as the month of foie gras, the fatty, delicious liver of generously fed geese and ducks. But back on the back on the theme of ice cream month, I went to a few different places around Hillsborough Street, just by campus, to talk about how ice cream sales are going during this delightful month. And I talked to the people at Freshberry Yogurt. So here we go. He comes every day. Every day he fills up his cup and he's, we swipe his card and he has, we have an ideal card. It's a rewards points card. For every dollar you get three points. And he has probably 800 points. He is, yeah, he's our very loyal customer. Um, we might see him later today. Mm-hmm. And uh, how often does he come? Every single day, maybe twice a day, sometimes three, but you know we'll say hi to him every day. He's pretty loyal. And now, is he uh, doing okay on the health side? On the health side, he's he looks pretty good. You know, I think he just it's like his little pick me up. I mean, yogurt isn't too bad for you, or it's very low calorie. It's um, it's delicious, and you know we also have fresh fruit, and he'll he'll usually just get the yogurt, but. And, yeah, could you talk about some of the products you, you sell here? On the products? Um, well, every week we have eight, eight flavors, and four of the flavors we change every Saturday. Um, and they're all non-fat yogurt. Some of them, usually two a week, are no sugar added. I believe it's um, sweetened with Splenda. And we also offer about 50-plus toppings. All we have fresh fruit fresh here every day. We also carry smoothies, which we make uh, fresh in the back, and we use our fresh berry tart base. We also make uh, popsicles, our fresh pops, and they're made with fresh fruit, our fr- uh, fresh berry tart base, and condensed milk. Cool. And so, what's business like during the summer? During the summer, it's been overall a little bit slower than usual because state has let out. But I think because orientations are starting to pick up again, we've been crazy, crazy busy. Uh, yesterday and the day before that, we were slammed till close, and we close at 11. So it's, you know, we we stay busy pretty long. What kind of, What kind of yogurt do you have in the coolers right now? Right now we have blueberry, um, cherry vanilla, um, green apple, and creamy clementine. And we also have, these are our standard flavors. Our standard flavors are uh, classic strawberry, vanilla, fresh berry tart, and then our decadent dark chocolate, which is awesome. And what's the the most popular? Oh, I've gotten that question before. Um, most popular would probably be the fresh berry tart and the strawberry and chocolate, I think. Yeah, those are t- those, those three. I think people tend to lean towards. And how many? What, what what what's the percentage of students that patron the place? That patronize the place. <laughs> um, for the school year, I'd say overall a lot. Um, we do get a lot more adults that come in, um, but because the Wolfpackopoly that's going on, we've been having a lot of st- uh, staff coming in. And um, overall, the students usually tend to enjoy 
coming here at night and kind of relaxing and just coming off of the success of this. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNT 88.1. I'm your host, Mark Herring. And there are some new uh, headlines for uh, weather right now, some breaking weather. Uh, And luckily, I'm joined in the studio with Katie Casa, our resident meteorologist. So, Katie, what's going on? Well, Mark, a severe thunderstorm warning has been issued for southwestern Wake County, and this is until 745. National Weather Service Doppler radar has indicated a severe storm located near New Hill, moving east at 15 miles per hour. Now, the biggest threats associated with this storm are damaging winds in excess of 58 miles per hour and frequent lightning. So please stay inside until the storm has passed. Now, locations in the path of the storm include Carpenter, Holly Springs, Apex, Fuquay, and Garner. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the 4th of July fireworks at the NC State Fairgrounds in Raleigh and Cocoa Booth Amphitheater in Cary were canceled last night, as you know, due to the rain and thunderstorms that passed through the area. But both fireworks shows luckily have been rescheduled for tonight at 9 p.m. Now, as of right now, since this severe thunderstorm warning is going to expire at 745, it looks as though the shows are still on. But stay tuned since more storms could pop up since there's still a 40 percent chance for scattered strong thunderstorms until 11 p.m. tonight. Now, the biggest threats associated with these storms will be damaging winds and heavy rainfall. But luckily, this is only a 40 percent chance. So a 60 percent chance that the fireworks will still fire off at nine tonight. Now, taking a quick look at your forecast for the rest of the week ahead, a code orange air quality alert is in effect from midnight tonight until midnight tomorrow night. So be sure to limit prolonged outdoor activity, especially if you have respiratory problems such as asthma. Now, currently, there is an area of low pressure hovering over Virginia and the Carolinas that will remain in place until Thursday evening. And this will bring several scattered showers and thunderstorms to the triangle during the afternoons and evenings for the remainder of this work week. Heavy downpours are likely Wednesday and Thursday, so keep that rain jacket handy this week because you will definitely need it. Now, tomorrow, cloudy conditions with a high of 89 and a 40% chance of afternoon pop-up storms. Now, chances for showers and thunderstorms will increase to about 60% tomorrow evening with a low of around 72 degrees. Now, taking a look at Thursday and Friday, mostly cloudy skies with a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms and temperatures peaking into the upper 80s. Now, Thursday and Friday nights, chances of showers and thunderstorms continue once again, but expect warm evenings with temperatures dropping down to a comfortable 73 degrees now taking a look at this weekend ahead saturday chance of showers and thunderstorms once again with a high of 87 saturday night fortunately these storms will finally start to taper off the rain will settle down we will cool down to 70 degrees and sunday is going to be the best day out of the remaining days of the week the perfect day to hit the pool since we will see mostly sunny skies and a high of 90 and the rain will be out of here so mark it looks like you will definitely need your rain gear this week until the end of saturday and i don't know about you but i am crossing my fingers at the fire will still be on for tonight uh, hopefully the fifth of july fireworks yes fifth yeah. of july <laughs> so is the all this rain coming in is this a consequence from the drought we had earlier it's actually associated with the low pressure system that's hovering over the area right now that's what's predominantly causing all the rain this week okay well that's why i give you all the responsibilities for weather because 
you know what you're talking about. Yeah, but it definitely will alleviate the drought. It's definitely good for that. <laughs> well, great. Thank you, Katie. Now we're going to take a quick break, but tune in for more on Eye on the Triangle. I'm here in close production with Corey Smith from Technician. He's a sports editor. How are we doing? Doing pretty good, man. All How right. Doing? I'm doing all right. So um, there's been some tragic news in the sports realm. Uh, Lorenzo Charles, he was a former Wolfpacker. He is now dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what happened? There was a, a car accident? Yeah, basically what ended up happening was he was um, – part of a he was driving an elite i think it was called elite bus coach um and he was driving the bus uh, basically he was by himself um they still haven't come up with the cause of it but basically what ended up happening was um he ran through a bunch of woods um and it ended up messing up his um messing up the bus itself and he was the only one that was in it um so he was killed uh I don't know if it was necessarily instantly. Um, it came out in the news report or uh, in the rec report, and um, they didn't actually come up with a cause of uh, why the wreck happened. Um, but they did say that at the end of it, um, they did release that he was not wearing a seatbelt at the time of the wreck. Okay. Um, so that was one of the big things that kind of came out of it. So. Well, that's tragic, but mm-hmm. Lorenzo Charles, he was a really legendary figure in Wolfpack history. Could you explain his legacy and um, what he did for our basketball team? Yeah, well, one of the big things, uh, through talking to a bunch of different people like uh, Tim Peeler, who's one of the guys who wrote uh, the 100 Years of Basketball Tradition for NC State. Um, That's not the exact title. But one of the biggest things that he did that contributed to NC State history was the dunk back in 1983. It was an errant pass by or an errant shot by Derek Wittenberg, and Lorenzo Charles picked up the ball, dunks it in, and that's the end of the ball game. The 1983 National Championship was the last national championship that NC State won, so that's the biggest reason why he's so prevalent in NC State history. But the one of the big things that a lot of people were saying when I was talking to him about him were that he, it was just his smile, something about his smile. A lot of people said that it was something that resonated with him and it was contagious. Yeah. And they'll never forget that. And for somebody to go that everybody basically that I was talking to said that he was such a huge figure to them and for not so many, not as many NC State students to know about him, actually, something that came out that was kind of a big deal too was that a guy, one of our guys, our players now, Lorenzo Brown. A lot of people thought that he had passed away because people didn't know who Lorenzo Charles was, which is really sad when you think about the fact that you know he did something that was so big for NC State athletics in basically bringing us home a national championship so when i talked to a lot of people they said that you know the smile was something that resonated with them and the fact that he was just such a loving person was something that resonated with them and he was always willing to do something for anybody else and you know you hear that a lot when people pass away but people really seemed like they meant it when they were talking about this guy so yeah the the public the public reaction seemed to be um just 
very nostalgic about his character. Mm-hmm. Not exactly all the things that he did in his career, even though he did do a lot of, you know, wonderful uh, things in basketball history. Mm-hmm. But um, j- the way he carried himself, I think, spoke a, a lot about the person he was. Mm-hmm. But um, beside the besides the sad news of Lorenzo Charles, um, what else is going on in the, sport, the sports world? Well, with with things happening last week, right beforehand, the big story would everybody was the Russell Wilson decision okay. for him to go to Wisconsin, and a lot of people started looking at you know what what's going on with the season, um, and a lot of people started kind of magnifying in on Mike Glennon. And looking at what he's going to be able to do this upcoming season. And that kind of provoked me to start thinking about, you know, what's going to end up happening with the season coming up. And, you know, basically, what are we looking at? And I I realistically feel like for our season coming up, we should be able to put together a season much like the season prior where we ended 8 and 4 went to a bowl and ended up going 9 and th- ended up going 9 and 4 for the season. And so that kind of provoked me to start thinking about, you know, what can we do during this upcoming season? And so I've heard a lot of people coming out about it and saying, you know, they feel like we could realistically end up 8 and 4, we could realistically end up 9 and 3. Um and then I've seen a lot of other people saying that there's no way we're getting to 5 and 7. Um so I started kind of taking a look at that, and one of the biggest reasons why I felt like we could end up being a team that could end at, you know, once again nine and four, or in the regular season eight and four, or possibly, I, I genuinely feel like a ten win season is not out of the realm of possibilities for us right now, okay. and that that has a lot to do with looking at the schedule, uh, and the beginning of our season is is really soft, where we have a team. I don't. Did you even know that Liberty had a football team before you saw them on the schedule? I, no clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we we've got a lot of possibilities, especially at the beginning of the season, and a lot of people were worried about Mike Glennon not being able to get out there and you know get his feet underneath him and not knowing what he's doing at the collegiate level. But when you look at the schedule, we've got basically three cupcake games to start the season. We've got Liberty, who, like I said, not a lot of people knew that they even had a football team, much like the Western Carolina game last year where they get started off. Uh, it's not exactly South Carolina of a few years ago. Yeah. And then you have Wake Forest, South Alabama, and then you go into the thir- the first Thursday night game that we have of the year in Cincinnati. And that's kind of the the big thing where you know we're going to be traveling to Cincinnati, and if we get past all those games, we start off 4-0. Yeah. So getting and to a bowl is not a, uh, is really easy at that point. So okay, so do you think this is a good way for NC State to kind of move in a different direction in football without Russell Wilson? I mean, is it about time that we we move on? Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as putting the things on Mike Glennon's shoulders and saying something like that, uh, looking to him to kind of future the program. Um, but I think looking at other people that are around him and looking forward to the future, you know, we've got a few guys that are going to be coming in and trying to prove themselves as far as, you know, wide receivers that are coming in. And then we've also got an, a, an amazing offensive line right now that last year were packed full of sophomores. This year will be juniors and are used to each other. Uh, exactly. So, so they'll, they'll be able to learn from past experience, but 
Exactly. Uh, it's not like Russell Wilson. He'll this is his last season of eligibility. Yeah. So um, maybe and Mike is, Lennon has two years left. Exactly. So you know you'd want to use him while he's ripe. Yeah. Exactly. And and one of the big things too was he Tom O'Brien wanted to stick with his guy. And he's the one who recruited Chuck Amato before he left, recruited Russell Wilson. So Tom O'Brien didn't actually recruit him. He recruited Mike Glennon. So, and he believes that Mike Glennon has something that people haven't seen yet. He's compared him, basically made comparisons to somebody like Matt Ryan, who's an Atlanta Falcons quarterback right now, the starter for them. So, you know, he feels like this guy has what it takes to play, you know, to win football games in the ACC. And he's only got two years of eligibility left. If he didn't play this coming up season, I can almost guarantee you he would have went to somewhere else and played at a smaller college just to get those years in because he didn't know that he was going to be able to play. Well, we'll see how things go on the field this fall. But, uh, Corey, thanks for coming in. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Now, we're going to start something completely different uh for the rest of the show is we're going to start doing a themed Mad Libs. And all you listeners can call in to get in on this Mad Libs. So you can call us at 860-0881 or 515-2400 to uh, do this week's themed Mad Libs. Uh, since it's going to be the last flight of the Atlantis, the the space shuttle, um, we're going to do this in memory or in honor of uh, the Atlantis. So call us at 860-0881 or 515-2400. But before we do that, I'm going to play us a few reviews of some bands that are coming to Raleigh to visit. So July 29th, artists Bonavere and the Rosebuds will perform in the Raleigh Amphitheater and hear some reviews on their these bands' latest albums. Rosebuds Reclaim Adult Contemporary by Corby Hill, Technician Correspondent. Christina Rents of Merge Records recently tweeted that the Love Languages Libraries is one of the greatest summer albums ever recorded in the dead of winter. To draw a parallel, the latest LP from label mates, the Rosebuds, is a perfect winter record released in June. Still safely there, still there. Were both Raleigh bands draw heavily from 1960s pop, the Rosebud's new album, Loud Planes Fly Low, is possessed of an indrawn adult character betraying its origins. It's a record written with the now-divorced songwriting team of Kelly Crisp and Ivan Howard, not only about the end of their marriage that defined the band, but also about how the two came to professional terms in lieu of the split and decided to keep making music. You look over at me every day, and I look over at you every day, and I don't know how I'm supposed to wait. Howard sings in Without Focus. And you look over at me every day, and I don't know how I'm supposed to wait. 
simple teenage breakup. Crisp and Howard navigate tricky waters. The record could easily be loaded with savvy revelations or minor key moving. Yet in keeping with the inescapable maturity of this material, the Rosebuds admit to pure and total emotional confusion. Perspective ceases to exist, Howard admits in the same song. Tunes like Cover Ears reference the sweeping atmospherics of Morrissey's solo while confident disco stomp of Come Visit Me belies Crisp's emotional burnout. In Second Bird of Paradise, a Cousteau vibe carries mystical lines like She's My Sister and She Floats Like a Bird in the Canopy. Marriage mixes romance and family. When marriage and art are tied together, such as in this band, the disillusion of the former leaves frayed loose ends in the latter. It's unclear whether or not Howard is describing his post-marital relationship with Crisp, but he can't keep his eyes off this bird of paradise. The indie world may be reclaiming territory, otherwise seen as cheesy, so this is best described as an adult contemporary record. The same can be said for other recent releases, such as Destroyer's Magnificent Caput. True, records like these are not a good place to go to for a quick rock energy fix. Rather, quality songwriting and inescapable dense textures hook the listener. Loud Plains Fly Low is moody at spots and distinctively introspective, emotional, but not histrionic. Crisp and Howard have given us a window into their post-fallout healing process, and it's quite good to listen to. success of his self-released debut album for Emma Forever Ago, Justin Vernon had a lot to live up to. Where he could have relied solely on the success of his debut, Vernon decided to evolve out of the cold, isolated feelings of the first and move into a world of sound that is optimistic yet grounded in reality and colorful in its execution. The execution of tracks is quintessentially different. While in For Emma Forever Ago, the instruments were consistent and to the point, Bonnie Vare produced a sound that is complex and varies multiple times within any given track. 
and the opener Perth starts with drums that really drive the song forward. Then come along Vernon's vocals that push the song forward once again. Then both come together for what is a really powerful moment in the opening track. Bonnie Bear's self-titled album was muddled in this beautiful and tragic composition. The mixture of sounds and paces transforms what could have come off as another tragic album into something that has hints of hope. Although grounded in reality, the guitars are precise and add this level that complement the lyrics in ways that add to the overall depth. They are precise and the intensity of the guitars alongside the vocals helps dictate the overall feeling of the album. It is the range within the vocals that also stands out within this work. In songs like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Vernon's ability to go from a somewhat unexpected low sound to the normal higher pitch makes a stunning difference in the delivery and his ability to transition between the sounds works seamlessly within the emotion that Bonnie Bear is projecting. While the deeper vocals accentuate this very blunt meaning, the higher vocals emphasize the vulnerability of the subjects in the tracks. What is running through Timing and precision are some of the album's greatest qualities. While in moments that feel very similar to the Bonnie Vare of old, Vernon and company construct these little moments that capture everything the listener needs to know and understand about the emotions that are being expressed. The perfect example of this comes in Washington. As the tracks begin with this very simple piano intro, followed by Vernon's vocals, it then picks up additional orchestral elements that fade in and out in a flash. They seem to linger in the background, they provide for one of the most piercing moments in the album. The violins provide with a brief, striking whirlwind that emotes all of the anxiety that builds up until Vernon finally punctuates, we finally cry. Even in moments that seem completely unexpected, Bonnie Vare is able to tap into the dreary themes that won over so many earlier listeners. In the final track, Best Slash Rest, all of the emotional sadness and intensity of any Bonnie Vare track is dominated by this very 80s sound filled with vocal correction, saxophone, and funky synth. However, they are all twisted brilliantly to work well within the arsenal of Bonnie Vare's catalog. If 
there was one thing that could have potentially gotten in the way of Vernon and company within their sophomore release, it would have to be the immense amount of hype and anticipation following the critically acclaimed debut. And using the tragic tones of the previous works, and in expanding the musical arsenal of Bonnie Iver, Vernon has not only met the benchmark set by the first, but raised it to a whole new level. Coming off WKNC 88.1, you are listening to Eye on the Triangle. I am Chris Chaffee with news. Kaysen Anthony was found not guilty of first-degree murder today. She was accused of killing her child. The jury did convict on four counts of providing false information to law enforcement. She faces up to a year in prison. There are 27 days remaining until the United States defaults on its loans. Both parties continue bickering about why they can't reach a compromise. There are no talks between the White House and the Congressional Republicans that have been announced. Tiger Woods will be missing his second straight major tournament. In an announcement Tuesday, the golfer said he would be skipping this year's British Open. The reason? A, bur- a bum left knee and an Achilles tendon injury. Susan Evans, an Apex CPA, announced she would be running against Ron Margiata for the District 8 Wake County School Board job. Margiata is the only member of the GOP-backed board majority who is up for re-election. All four seats of the minority group will be on the ballot. And those are the quick headlines today uh, on EOT. Now we're uh, back to uh, Mark Herring with a few little anecdotal Mad Libs here uh, revolving around the Space Shuttle Endeavor's final launch. Atlantis, actually. Atlantis, yeah. Endeavor just came back, right? Yeah, so no problem about that. Um, This will be the final flight for Atlantis on July 8th. The astronauts will bring with them special experiments designed by scientists here at NC State. Dr. Amara Pereira, assistant professor in plant biology, is the lead researcher on a plant biology experiment that is going to be launched with the shuttle. So Pereira's research focuses on growing plants in space in light of the challenges of zero gravity, little natural light, and limited resources. Um, so with that in mind, we're going to do a little segment of Mad Libs, uh, and we have a bunch of different, um, you know, all the different things that we need to fill provided by staff and listeners. So thank you very much. So here we go. The National Aeronautics Space and Sloppy Administration, NASA, will send its last flight of the space shuttle August 15th. The astronauts will... The the pigs will visit the International Saucy Station and will conduct a series of mohawks to explore living in Cancun. NC State has been a close partner with NASA and has worked closely to innovate Pedro spacesuits and protective tiles to line the spaceship. So thank you very much for those. Uh, really confusing little uh, tidbits to add to our med libs, but there you go. Now, I have a little story about a feature film called The Revolutionary. So we're going to play that next. It's uh, a little story about the small film that just won a big award in the Campus Movie Fest, and it is brought to you by some people from NC State. So here we go. Sundance and Con Music Festivals aren't the only ones celebrating feature films. Campus Movie Fest is the world's largest student film festival, and recently, students from NC State won a big award, Best in Editing, with their movie, 
the revolutionary. I like a little rebellion now and then. It's like a storm in the atmosphere. Thomas Jefferson. People say that I'm not helping anything. People say that I'm just adding wood to a fire that's already blazing. But what people don't understand is that I'm not the one feeding the fire. I'm the one putting it out. It's all about how far you plan ahead. The film is about a freedom fighter played by Charlie Allen, who's combating the totalitarian government of Prime Minister Armstrong, played by Lee Armstrong. The movie is like a mix of 1984, Braveheart, and other movies from the increasingly popular genre of the apocalypse. The revolutionary is entertaining, but the theme is a little overdone. However, the action and suspense make up for any plot flaws. The people of this country can rest assured that their government is taking control of these issues. No man should be a slave to another man's will. And that is exactly what these bills assure. It is just another example of the way that I'm extending the people's freedoms by changing... The freedom fighter, who acts as a vigilante, wreaks havoc on the totalitarian troops, who ultimately capture him. However, they're not successful keeping him. Where are the people you're working with? I work alone. Why are you doing this? What are you talking about? What are you looking at? I'm sorry. The freedom fighter hero has several flashbacks of what life was like before the totalitarian takeover. Throughout the movie, a recurring memory plays of the hero with his wife, and his ability to remember keeps him fighting. I'm not here to change the country. I am here to remind good men that they're not another man's pawn. Pieces are in motion, and the game is still not decided. For more information about The Revolutionary or other college films, go to campusmoviefest.com. From I on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring. WKNC 88.1. You are listening to Eye on the Triangle, as Mark said, and uh, it is time for another exciting installment of the Gardening Minute. Plants grow best in nutritious and healthy soil. The soil in your yard is not always the healthiest. When I was building the garden in my front yard, I encountered large amounts of clay, not an optimal plant growing environment. North Carolina clay is a prominent feature in our soil, and it makes for lousy drainage. So, to amend soil, creating a better environment for your leafy children, I recommend compost. It's easy to make, it's free, and it reduces household waste. So, in today's Gardening Minute, I will describe an easy method for building a compost bin in your very own backyard. It takes less than an hour to make, and if used regularly, it can yield in less than one year. The first step to creating your compost masterpiece is choosing a spot in the yard. I chose one that was off the beaten path and out of the way. Compost needs light and air to decompose, so make sure your compost is at least in partial sun. Next, the bin itself must be fashioned. The simplest method is to take about six feet of chicken wire and make a circle by tying both ends together. This simple design can fit a lot of compost. And if you're worried about it blowing away, hammer some stakes in around the outside, and it will stay just where you want it. Now, upkeep is simple. 
Stir and water occasionally. Keep the top covered in soil or leaves to cut down on the smell. That also promotes decomposition. So, make sure to feed your composter only garden scraps or vegetable scraps. Eggshells, coffee grounds, fireplace ash, and grass clippings are all good for a compost. Make sure to stay away from meat or fish bones, pet waste, and diseased plants. Keeping a jar or old Tupperware container by the sink or trash can is an excellent place to temporarily store your food waste. Then, you can dump it in the bin at your leisure. Buying a pre-made compost bin can be expensive, and you can expect to pay at least $100 from a garden center. So don't wait. Make a compost bin today, and your plants will thank you with delicious veggie gifts. For the Gardening Minute, I'm Chris Chaffee. Thank you very much, Chris. And now I'm going to introduce a little segment. Um, as I was talking about earlier, there are two NC State students and two poets from UNC who are in North Africa right now. They're on what they call it. They're on a trip for what they call poetic portraits of a, of a revolution. And these are uh, poets who do spoken word. And what they've been doing is interviewing. Uh, people on the street who have been part of these revolutions and then afterwards they reflect on them with poetry but we're gonna we're gonna air a quick interview a quick excerpt from one of their interviews with amina zaki from cairo uh she's one of the prominent activists who was in the Tahrir square protests and she's also a blogger a twitter user and an activist for democracy and civil rights so here's amina I was expecting something weird and bad to happen on the 25th. And it was weird, but it was not bad. For the first time, I see my friends coming, walking on the streets in, in a protest, in a huge protest. And they used to tweet like, oh my God, they are letting us through. They are not hitting us. No bombs, no guns, no nothing. It's working fine. So it was weird. And by midnight, they started hitting with tear gas and and that was the moment when you get to say that it's becoming real people are really angry this time they came back the next day and they came back in larger numbers than the, than the 25th they came back on the 26th and they came back on the, on the 27th and they lasted for longer hours every day till on the 28th nobody left okay let me tell you on the 28th can you can you show this part okay uh i was stuck at the end of this bridge when they from the other side of course when they started throwing us with gas bombs and i have this allergy that caused my tongue and my throat to swell in like two minutes i was starting to suffocate so i had to run for medication and when i i, I took the medication and things got better and i managed to breathe again and i came back my, everyone was here in the square so i was like running after people to to and to get faced with plenty of people they are coming all going like this they don't see anything from the tear gas and the funny thing is you know we had like to jump on them sometimes and bring them to the street so i can 
feel them, I can just put eye drops. It was something, I don't know, it, it, it's something like, I, I cannot forget these four hours from, from the day. I, you do these stories like that girl who went just to fight with other men and throw rocks and a man was telling her just go somewhere and, and, and be safe, you're a girl, they're gonna kill you, she was, they are going to kill you too, so we'll be there at both at the end and she just ran away and she started throwing rocks just like everybody else, so plenty of people who participated in the revolution, they started having um, a wider view about being a human being, not just a male or a female. Welcome back to I Am The Triangle. I'm Mark Herring, your host, and that was just a little segment from Poetic Portraits of a, of a Revolution. And if you are interested in their project, you can visit them at ppr2011.org. And talking about poetry, there's going to be a poetry slam at UNC this weekend, and uh, Salma Abdulhai from NC State and contributor to Eye on the Triangle will be there performing and uh, reciting some of her spoken word. So here's an archive uh, story that we have with Selma of her poetry. I'm joined here in the studio today with a poet. She uh, performed at the open mic night for Windover, and now she's joining us today. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Selma. And you uh, do a different type of poetry than we've heard so far on our show, correct? I do spoken word. Now, kind of describe that for us. Uh, spoken word is basically, it's poetry, but it's mostly like imagery. You like take people to a place where all they can see is your words, and they get so into the story that they're in the emotions, and they feel everything that you're saying. Now, you, uh, you do this professionally, right? I don't know professionally, but I do slams, and I do a lot of open mics when I can. Cool. So, what are you going to read for us today? Um, I'm going to read a poem called... Right before your eyes. So, Selma, take it away. <clears throat> right before your eyes. Why is it that if it's not in our face, that for death we do not care? If you never met your family, then their blood's to no avail. That last meal they had before they could see the level rise, the wife, our sister, our mom, we care not for her demise. We watch them from the screen of resignation for her distant despair. We're asked to help those in need, but all we can do is stare. Death means nothing to us if it ain't before our eyes. We say it's a part of life, and we are comforted by those lies. Well, what if I told you that your voice could change a whole world? May not change the whole country, but made a difference to that little girl. Maybe she's your little sister with tears streaming from her eyes. She cries not for her missing doll, but for the family who left her behind. She is alone and cold, and there's no one's hand she can hold. Without food, without clothes, without a family, without a home. She is lost and does not know what to do. So she shall sit there and wait till her time is through. We say, someone will help her. Well, why can't that someone be you? Why do we pass off the responsibility when the weight rests on us all? Whatever happens, united we stand, divided we fall. Because we do not know her or see her, she doesn't exist. Because when you have no attachments, the thoughts get dismissed. Our minds are self-centered and egocentric. Our petty problems are epidemic. The heavy workload is our hectic. But we are human, and this is expected. But she is too, and so we've got to try. Instead of turning our heads away, we should open our eyes and realize that her blood is our blood. And when she sheds her tears, our eyes also flood. See, we're interconnected at the very least. So when one of us falls, we all meet defeat. 
So pick your little sister up. Wipe the tears from her face. Reassure her. Tell her things are going to change. And they're going to change starting with you. Because as someone once said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, how does one develop a piece like that? Um, you think about the, the reason for it. And the reason, personally, because uh, I was asked to write this piece for the people who are suffering in Pakistan. And I performed at a fundraiser dinner. So figured, hey, I don't want to just make this about those people there. I want to make it about everyone who's suffering. So figured I'd generalize it make it for everyone. Now, I understand you have a second piece, too, so uh, go ahead. We're all ears. Sure. All right. Journal of Miss Grinnan Barrett. The other day, I was driving down the highway, and I was thinking of him for the first time in a long time. I looked down at me to see what had triggered his memory. I looked down to see the tattooed heart on my left forearm for the second time he said, I love you. Flashback to the first month, the golden age, you could say. Walking hand in hand, me with an unknown destination, he finally stopped us at a tattoo parlor. I looked at him and said, I don't want to get a tattoo. His response was, but I love you. And that was all it took, back to the present, as I made my way into the next lane to cut up the guy who'd just done me the same deed. My right forearm flashed before my eyes, showing me twenty faded cuts, one for each time he'd said, it'll never happen again. Flashback to the second month, when the age of gold quickly faded dark. Walking through downtown, hand clutched around my purse, I looked over at the tattoo parlor reminiscingly, and that's when I spotted him. My heart stopped and kick-started into overdrive because he's walking hand in back pocket with some girl. I waited that night for our date and invited him inside, starting my screaming match, hurling my words at him, trying to cut through the unfazed demeanor he held. He screamed, she's just a friend. I pleaded, I know what I saw. His eyes flashed. Are you calling me a liar? I started again, I know what... I never finished that sentence because that hand, that sweet hand that I held in mine, the same arm home to the love heart came down hard across my face. And as I staggered away, I imagined I could see the Milky Way before the whole world took on a red haze. And through that haze, I could faintly hear, I'm sorry, that'll never happen again. But I love you too much to let you go. That night when the nightmare seemed over, I went to my bathroom and carved the night's events into my arm, and from then on rewrote them every night so that those clear-cut memories would always stay fresh. Back to the present, car fueled by my own pain going 95 in a 55, car stopped 100 yards away from me, but I hadn't noticed. I rear-ended the guy in front of me. He got out of his car screaming incoherently. I pleaded, I'm sorry. He bellowed, why are you going so fast? Flashback to the first night. The new age, so to speak, moving so fast as if it erased the front door, the stairs, and my bedroom door already in his dust. Now he goes to overtake the bed and the buttons on my jeans before I finally speak. No, not yet. I don't want to go so fast. He says, it's okay. I'll never hurt you because I love you. I froze and he took advantage of that moment. And that was all it took. Back to the present. The guy says his car is fine. I said, minus two. He said, you want to call the police? I said, no. I'm good. Flashback to our six-month anniversary, going to dinner accompanied by our fake smiles, trying to enjoy an evening that seemingly would never end. At the end of dinner, he pulled out a velvet box and set it across the table to me. He said to me, I love you. Will you be my wife? And as I looked into his eyes, I saw his real question, will you be my slave? I said, sorry, I can't. And I got it quickly and left. And through my shock, I never heard his heavy footfalls. So that the only thing that ever alerted me to his presence was the pain. He kicked, punched, and slapped enough till I was near unconsciousness. He left me in the alleyway with his last words of, I never loved you anyway.
back to the present as I sat in my car on the shoulder of the highway. I try to figure out if I really am okay after all these years. And as I look at all the memories and stories my very body portrays, I can't be sure. So I pull down the overhead mirror and look at my face to see all the memories and stories my very eyes portray. And despite the powerful river trying to break through, the dam remains in taste because behind it all in my eyes, I see strength. The words I love you stumble out through my lips as I am reassured by my own face. I love you, I said again with the innate strength, and that was all it took. Soma, thank you so much for coming in today. No problem. This is Eye on the Triangle on WKNT 88.1. I'm your host and public affairs director, Mark Herring. If you have any questions, concerns, or if you would like to share a compelling narrative or story with us, you can contact, you can contact us at publicaffairs at wknc.org. This show was produced with the help of Chris Chaffee, Selma Abdulhai, Molly Maddie, Katie Costa, Mike Jones, and Corby Smith. Listen to the show in two weeks and check out our blog in the meantime at wknc.org slash blog. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Have a nice evening, and keep on listening to 88.1.